0: Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. In this episode, I get to chat with Lee Robinson of the modern day GK. You'll probably remember a few months ago, I got a chance to speak with Mark Robinson. Well, this is Mark's brother, Lee. Lee is the keeper. So I had to bring Lee on to talk about the psychology of a goalkeeper, youth sports, and Sunderland till I die. I want to get right into this episode. Let's welcome Lee Robinson. The bottom line is, we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. What I want to do is get into... You guys put out an ebook, right? The Psychology of a Goalkeeper. And there's a lot of talk about psychology just in general right now. I think it's perfect how we can kind of use a goalkeeper's frame of mind to perhaps compare it to everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. And obviously the UK and the US. But I'm fascinated by watching goalkeepers, whether it is my son who's on this path of just learning how to be a goalkeeper, playing a lot, going out in training sessions, playing in some games, not as many games as he would like, obviously, because of everything that's happened. But yeah. so much of that position is mental. I've heard it. I've heard it explain. There's an MLS goalkeeper, Jeff Antnelli, who's on the podcast. And I think he had said 75% of the goalkeeping position is mental. He was taught that. He was trained that. What do you think it is?
1: I would say more so because if you think about it in a game, you're probably spending 95% thinking and 5% actually involved in the players or decision making. That's mental, isn't it? But standing, thinking what's going to happen, dealing with your job, basically, Eric, is to deal with pressure. It's not as the best goalkeepers in the world. Sure, Alisson, Oblak, these guys, they're not the most naturally gifted goalkeepers, but they're brilliant at dealing with pressure and they're very effective and they can use... Whereas me, the best way to describe with me is I had all this talent, but my mentality stopped us from using the talent because it drains you and makes you anxious and I just couldn't use my tools, whereas another goalkeeper, like, oh, black, talent-wise, okay, mentality-wise, world-class. And that's what gets you up to that level. So it's a good lesson for these kids that talent, I'm a good example of it, is talent is nowhere near enough to play at the top level. And people say height, I'm five, 10 and a half. half. I would never use my excuse as uh, not being big enough. I was good enough for talent. I was more than good enough to play at the top level. but I was handicapped by my mentality and the way I thought about things.
0: Yeah. How do the people choosing, the coaches, the managers at all ages, let's start maybe at a young age, you might like through a couple tryout sessions, you don't get a chance to see perhaps the mindset or are they trying to put the kids in situations to say they put a goalkeeper on the worst team, let's say, and let's see how they respond because you know they're going to get scored on because the defense isn't up to task against these strong strikers, right? Is that how they're doing it to see, okay, I want to see him let in some goals. I want to see her let in some goals and I want to see how he or she responds to it because it's very difficult to see what the mindset is.
1: Sometimes it's better to be on the poorer team because you get more chance to do something. How many teams have played where the goalie's got man the match, being in a crap team and yep. playing against a good team? So yep. it's that. And also, like if you're in a good team, you might not have anything to do. You don't get a chance to show. Also, I guess see with some goalkeepers. Some goalkeepers are brilliant playing in a team who's poor. And then they made the step up to a better level team and they're not as good. Some goalies are better playing in a a good side where they don't get much to do. And it's about organising and making that one save in the last minute. Whereas other goalies are better playing in a poor team who get loads to do. It's like, I think Joe Hart is, when he's on his game, he was the best in the world between 25 and 29, I would say. Maybe 24 and 28. But Joe's went to Burnley, West Ham, Torino. And I don't think they were great clubs for him. And he didn't do anywhere near as good as what he did at Man City. So I think Joe Hart's a type where he's the guy who should play in a top team. But David De Gea, I think he would struggle playing for Man City or a real, or someone like that because he needs to be having shots at him. Obviously, at the minute, he's obviously lost a massive amount of confidence. And he's a good example of mentality because he couldn't do anything wrong for three years. Right. And all of a sudden, he's making mistakes that you wouldn't even expect a pub goalkeeper to make. So... Mm-hmm. It just shows, doesn't it? It's all that's about mentality. But
0: yeah, how do you start? So, what's going back, like, say, more on the youth side of things? Is it just developed? Are the coaches, are the people picking the teams? Let's say at a certain point, or they're coming to an academy. How much do they get to see the kids before they make the decision to get on there? Because it would seem to me they're making a lot of decisions about if they want that keeper on their team. They're basing it off of talent, right? So it starts
1: with yeah. talent. Is that true? Obviously, people are drawn to physical attributes, aren't they? The the big guy, straight away, big guy would have to be pretty bad not to get picked in the team. So, of course, the physical side, if somebody, two goalies don't have anything to do, and one's six foot four and big and strong, the other one's five, ten and just slight. They're gonna go with a big guy. So of course that's what people are drawn to first. But it's I think if you don't have anything to do, it's about talking and being shown that authority and shouting at your defenders and in the right way, not just shouting for the sake of it. It's about telling them what to do, give them instructions. People love that because straight away it looks like he knows what he's doing. He might not have anything to do in the game. He knows what he's doing. And it's like in a match, if you've got a goalkeeper, you're better off having a goalkeeper who's really confident, who think pretends they know what to do than somebody who's really talented and doesn't have the confidence and isn't giving instructions and walking around like they know what they're doing. So, of course, I think good tip for any young goalies is but even if you don't have much confidence, if you're worried, you've got to pretend that you do, because other opposition players and managers can see it straight away. He doesn't look confident. He looks worried. He looks nervous. I used to be anxious a lot in my younger days, and people thought I was... Not arrogant, but really confident because of the way I used to go about my game. And I needed to do that to compensate for being really, really worried and worried about making mistakes and letting people down. So massive thing is pretending you know what you're doing. That's a big thing, but don't let anybody show that you're anxious or nervous. And like I, say, I think shouting and talking and telling people where to go, managers and coaches absolutely love that. That's another thing what can get you to the next level. You could be a good goalie. If you add that to your game, you can go to the next level. And what we've learned is it's nothing to do with talent and technique. Yeah. It's, there's so many other things.
0: Yeah, it starts that way where that's what they're going to look for. They're going to look for talent. They're going to look for size. I want to know what would your advice be to a young player What do they do to build up that mindset when they're not playing? So before a game, like maybe they are feeling anxious. Maybe they are worried about what's going to take place in the next game, in the next training session.
1: All you can do as a young goalkeeper is your job. I say it's to deal with pressure as a goalie, but all you're in control is how you prepare for a game, whether you're playing a Saturday or whatever. The only thing that you're in control of is you can't control if you get picked. You can't control what happens in the match. All you can control is how you prepare for the game, how you go about how much effort you put in, what you work on, how you eat, things like that. For me, the best way, one thing I've never done, and I wish I did it, I wish I went into every game thinking I've done everything I possibly can. And when I go into the game, I can have no regrets. I'm going to do my best. But what will be, will be. And if I make a mistake, especially as a young goalie, what I would encourage young is never worry about making a mistake because when you're young, you're supposed to make mistakes and learn, and not make them when you're older. So that's the idea. It's all about development. I worry about the standard of coaching, of uh, not goalkeeper coaching, but players' coaching, who just want to win and they, they want the players to play safe so they don't make a mistake and they put that much when really coaches should be not encouraging you to make mistakes. But when you do, letting you know it's a good thing because you're not going to make that in five years' time. So I think the best advice you can give to any goalie is never worry about making a mistake. Work hard all week. Do everything you possibly can. Enjoy your training. Do the right things. Go into a game and what will be will be. And if you do make a mistake, never spend a minute worrying about it. Think, right, I'm glad I've done that now rather than in 10 years' time and I'm going to make sure I'm going to work on why I've made that mistake, and I'm not going to do it again. If you're doing the same mistake every month or every couple of weeks, then it becomes a problem. But when you do make a mistake, I thought it was the end of my world at 19, making a mistake in the Rangers reserve game or youth team game, when really it's absolutely nothing. But you have these parents who get obsessed with the kids doing well at 11 or 12-year-old, and what they've got to realize is what happens to their kid at 11 or 12-year-old Nobody cares. Nobody cares about football or soccer at that age. All people care about is what happens when the professionals are playing at a proper level. Youth soccer, of course, though it should be all about development and enjoying yourself and being a kid and enjoying being a goalkeeper. But there's so much pressure put on from coaches and parents, and that's what ruins the kid a lot of the time.
0: How mad does it make you When you watch training sessions, if I were to bring you over to the States and I was take you by a high school soccer team, right? And you could see that the coach is only about winning. They're not even practicing the game. They're running, (sighs) right? They're just, they're running. They have two hours, they have an hour and a half, whatever that might be. And I'm not saying running is not important. Obviously it is. But it seems to me that a lot of those players, if they really wanted to play, they would be doing that in their spare time. This is an opportunity to actually train. When you only have a certain amount of time, and I'll let you take it from there, because you do see it, so much of it is about winning the game. It's not about actual training.
1: Exactly. I think the system's great in the US. The fact that, I don't know about high school, but for the college system, you get an education and then you get to play competitively. But between 18 and 22, education should be the priority. I like that. But... It should still all be about development. And I do worry the fact that basically what these coaches are doing, and it happens all the way down to 10, 9-year-old, the coaches, a lot of the time, they'll use the kids for them to get another job and then up the ladder. That's what they're doing. 18 to 22, that is a massive time to develop players. And then they've got a chance to go and play at the best level after that. And they'll have an education, which is an amazing thing. But the fact that it turns into all about winning That's one of the bad things about the system over there because it should just all be about development. There's no money at stake. It's the stats. I think they're obsessed with stats over there, I think. And I think it's dangerous. It should be about development. They should take pride in getting a player. I think they'd rather win championships and conferences than produce players to come play in England or in Europe. That's their goal. And I think it's crazy. Instead of producing players that are coming and playing in, in Europe and playing in the MLS, that's what they've got to be proud of. And that's development and developing them as people. But like I say, it happens all the way down the levels. You go to the young ones, you say to parents, by the way, most of the time, under 12's coaches are basically, it doesn't matter what happens at under 12 level. Nobody cares. Absolutely nobody cares what happens in the grand scheme of things. They don't matter. But what it basically is, busy is the coach is using an under 12 kid to win the game so he gets the job for the under 14s. Yeah. And then he'll ju- use them Keep to get up. up the ladder. Right.
0: Well, what about the next level with that is the cost to play? And we've talked, you and I have talked about this a lot. The cost to play. On a club team, right? And that's where most of the training is. So when I bring up high school, I mean, I think most people here in the States know that if you're trying to go somewhere with the game and you just want to play, just play. And high school is a great place to play soccer. And there's different, right? Not every high school program is equal in the way they develop their players, right? So I'm not calling out everyone for sure. You know, in the where my son's playing now, I see a lot of development going on versus where he used to be. But on the club level, the costs are outrageous. And I wonder how some players or some families would even consider playing because just to play on a decent club, it's going to cost you probably a $1,000. If you're going to play at next level, I mean, for a while, you're multiple thousands of dollars that you have to go exactly. to play. And when you go and talk to people like you in the UK, there is very little cost, if any cost, to play. So it's got to just drive you mad.
1: I don't know how many people I've told over here now after spending time in America... Do you know how many people I say to over here now, you don't realise how lucky you are that your kid can play soccer, football here for twenty pounds, thirty well, twenty-five dollars a month. Yeah. And over there, if you can't <laughs> afford that, the club will let you play. And the train Tuesday, the train Thursday, and the train and the play on a Saturday or Sunday. That's their normal week. Everybody does the same and you're paying three hundred dollars a year. And if you can't afford that, the club will just let you play. So here, that's why we produce Wayne Mooneys and people like that. Wayne Rooney came from nothing, but all the, all the best players seem to come from nothing. Whereas in America, it seems as though it's a middle-class sport. I had a football career. I think my mom and dad had five kids. I think if I came through in America, if we were, lived in America, I might never have had a football career because yep. we couldn't have afforded to play. Yep. Four boys and a girl, the four boys especially, my mom and dad
0: couldn't afford to pay a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Well, and imagine that you, for yourself, who became a phenomenal goalie, that like the cost to go to the next level is more than a thousand dollars, right? Next thing you know, exactly, you're paying five thousand dollars. And for what, like, where, you, like you said, is it to win championships? Is it to develop players? And I'm sure, you know, they have great coaching there when it comes to that. But a lot of the players will end up going to play different sports. And so it's spread out and you never even end up on a team.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's much the difference.
0: Yeah. With that, and I'm sorry to interrupt because it just got me thinking about what you had said before. For a keeper, right? a lot of times for a field player, getting onto that top level club and whatever club you're in is obviously very important to get noticed. But for a keeper, if you're on the best club, well, chances are you might not be getting a lot of action back there. Talk to me about this. If you're a keeper and perhaps you're on a lesser club, isn't that possibly... If you have the proper training, of course, right? So you have good goalkeeper coaches. Isn't that possibly a good thing for you because you're going to get a lot more game action?
1: Yeah, you're going to make more mistakes. You're going to make more saves. You're going to learn more. You're going to be involved in the game more and more decision making. So of course, that's not the end of the world. If you're playing the game, if you're even if you are getting beat 5-0, but you're getting 20 shots, you're improving every game. So I think if I don't think playing on the worst team is the worst thing ever because you're going to get a lot more action, you might do more in one game than a guy playing the top club plays in 20 games. So, I think it's uh, when I was a kid, I enjoyed playing for my local team and weren't the best. Then, the bigger team that's us to go 10 year old, 11 year old, but I like playing with my friends, and as a young player. It should be all about playing with your friends and enjoying your football, not being took off by academies and coached and made into a robot And like they do here. It should just be enjoying your football. Another thing is spend as little time in a car and travelling to games as you possibly can. You're better off doing half an hour on the pitch extra than five hours sitting in a car travelling to a tournament or a game. I think it's ridiculous and I think the fact that people think that's a good thing and they're lucky because they're traveling six hours out the state or around the state to go and play a game. Like, it's absolutely crazy having a kid in a car for that long. They would have been better staying at home and going to pitch for an hour and working on the left foot or the right foot. What do they
0: do in the UK? How far do you travel for youth There's games? nowhere
1: near as much because the most you could ever travel here is probably seven hours. Mm-hmm. But that's very early. It's regionalized younger players. But you don't do anywhere near as much as what they do over there. So... But I think what I would say is the opportunities now in the US, you get this maybe it's 300 million people, and I think you might have 60 or 70 professional clubs. Whereas here, we have 60 million people in the UK, and you might have 200 professional clubs. So if you think about that way over here, that's why I say to anyone now if you're a decent player, if you don't get signed at 15, you'll get a chance at 16. If you don't get signed at 16, you'll get 17, all the way up to 23, 24. So I think you're always going to get opportunities. And if you take the right advice, which is what we're trying to guide players now and let them know that it's not really, really difficult to be a footballer. If you get the right advice and do the right things, you don't have to be a fantastic player. You just have to go about it in the right way. Like say the standard of goalkeepers, in terms of goalkeeping, I think especially over here, I think it's okay. And I think the best ones aren't the most talented, but we want to produce talented ones that are good mentally as well. And then you go into a totally different level then, whereas there's a lot of good goalies around, but there's not many that are really special. I think you get Edison at Man City, who is special in terms of the ball at his feet. Good goalkeeper, special with his feet. And you get O'Black and Allison, who are good goalies, but they're special in terms of the mentality. So uh, there's so many good opportunities, and I think the US, when I've been over there and I've seen the standard of goalies, I think the US have got the potential to produce amazing goalkeepers. They've had good ones like Keller and Howard and Friedel, and but I think they've never had a real one in the in the top twenty in the world. I think the US could. With the right people around them and giving them the guidance, I think they've got all the natural abilities and their physical abilities, and I'm getting the right tactical, coaching, technical. I think the US could start producing the best goalkeepers in the world, and I've said it the last couple of years, whenever I've been over and saw anybody there, I think the potential is massive there, and we love goalkeepers who move well, who are natural movers, and and over there, you get a lot of that because they're growing up in different sports and jumping and running and they could produce a lot better than the English. That's my personal opinion from seeing the talent over there.
0: Yeah. We hear that a lot. You hear that the goalkeeping in the United States, the training here is strong. And I've witnessed it because I do believe that my son's in a favorable position because of the goalkeeping training that he's had. And there's a big focus. He gets extra training sessions being a goalkeeper with a very specific process that they have with the goalkeeping coaches. And I think there's something to that and you watch it. I'm curious what you think of Zach Steffen, who perhaps, I don't know if he's going to end up at Man City and be a backup. I don't know if that'd be the best place for him because he's not going to get obviously a lot of matches with Ederson in front of him. But what's your opinion? What's the thought process around him in the UK?
1: I don't think anybody really knows him because he kicked Man City and he was there. And then the next minute he was out the door. Right. But I've heard that they are going to, they do want him as the number two. But for me, he's never going to challenge Edison at the minute, especially as he didn't play a massive amount of games last year in Germany. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to challenge Edison. So it's a one where, for me, I would get him back out on loan and play another 40 games in Germany or in the Championship in England or the bottom of the Premier League. That for me, it's the obvious one. It's crazy to have a goalie at... Is he 26, 27?
0: 25. 25? Yep.
1: So he should be nowhere near a bench for me. If, a bench if he was ready to challenge, but he's not. So I think Zach Steffen should be out on loan in Germany, in England, playing 40 games, and then he could come back next year and be the goalie, but he's never played in Europe. And when he did come last year, he didn't play anywhere near how many games he wanted to, and he had injuries. So I think for him, it's crazy for Man City to take him back to be the number two. There's no point, really. I think you need to bring somebody in who can either challenge or who's a bit older, who's been playing games and doesn't desperately need to. But Stefan, I think I heard a lot of good things about him. But you've got to play games at 25. You can't just be on the bench. No matter, You'll be better off playing... Five leagues down for anybody rather than being on the bench for Man City for me because I say very rarely does Edison get injured. The only option is if Stefan's there to play in the cup games, the FA Cup and the League Cup, and he could get 10 games. But playing in the League Cup against some team from the fourth league isn't going to benefit him. Whereas I think if he went and now, at the minute, he's got a value. If he went and played 40 games in Germany or in Spain or in England then straight away, he's got a chance to challenge next year. If he stays at Man City, he can't challenge this year and he can't challenge next year. So I don't think it's the ideal situation for him.
0: Yeah. No, it's fascinating. Well, it just goes back to what we were talking about before. You got to play. Yeah. As a keeper, you have to find a team that you can play on no matter if you're Zach Stefan, who's USA's number one, or if you're a young keeper, age 10 exactly. through, through 16 and so on. Now, this question I have is... Things are changing. You know, the pandemic's changing things, and you have kids coming up, and their colleges are shutting down, and no different, right? Obviously, in the UK, things are changing there too. You wonder what'll happen. People are thinking about college differently. Traveling overseas, as you've come to America, and as someone like myself who's traveled in Europe when I was a little bit younger, kids have an opportunity perhaps to go live abroad. And I'm wondering, does England want? Players And let's just talk specifically more about goalkeepers. Do they want goalkeepers coming over to England, to the UK to play in their teams and their clubs at university? Or do they look down upon the Americans right now as far as from a soccer standpoint, because they feel like maybe they didn't have the training they needed. So I guess the ultimate question is. Does a kid today, instead of going to college in America, do they have a chance to say, hey, I'm going to go to England and I'm going to get education there and I want to play football there?
1: Well, the college system, if you're playing at a college, you don't get any respect whatsoever.
0: Right. Maybe reframe that. So, they can go and study there, right? They can go study there, but they would play somewhere else. Does a Uh, kid here have a chance to still get their education somewhere at a university where they can then join a club and get in the academy system or, or something along those lines?
1: The good thing about that is there's so many clubs. So if you're a good goalkeeper, and I don't know how it works with work permits and being able to play, but if you're coming to study in the UK and you're a good goalkeeper and you can go and play in the conference, for example in England or in the league around that, I think it is a good option because you're getting used to, if you want to come to the UK to play in Europe, you got to get used to wet surfaces a lot, the the wind, the rain, all these that you're playing here, whereas 90% in the US, obviously you're going to play indoor, on astroturf, in the hot weather. So I think it's a great educational one for them to come and get used to this style of play. I think it's a great option. I always tell kids here, Instead of signing for a club at 18 for four, £300 a week, go and have an amazing life and get an amazing education in the States, in these billion facilities, in the colleges. I think it's an amazing idea to do it. Because if you go to a club here at 18, they don't care about education. They just take you, use you. At 18, they don't have to give them any education. It's got to come from you. The club won't say. And then the release you at 20 or 21, and you've got no education, and you've got no football anymore, and you've got no confidence and it leaves people mentally in a real bad place. So I think I would advise, unless you're going to get life-changing money at 18 to stay in the UK, I would advise any young goalkeeper to come to the States and go and have an education, a brilliant life, and then at 22 when you finish, as a goalie especially, you're still young for a goalkeeper and you've gone to the couple of years to develop before you're going to be a real number one for a proper club. So I think I would tell him that in terms of the Americans because they need the opportunities I think it's a good option as well to come here and go and play low league. I don't I say you can't quote us on like the work permit stuff because I don't know enough about it. I know you can't play professionally direct from the US, but if there is a way you can come and play games here at any level and study, I think that's a good option as well for the Americans. So but like I say, I do advise a lot, a lot of young lads, to get to America and have that great education, that great life. Yeah. Right, so I could work out both. It could be good for US kids to come here. Even if you could do it where you can come for one year as an experience. Right. That could be like overseas, you knowing you do like yep. the exchange and stuff. Or... yeah You
0: travel abroad for a year, take a semester and take a season over there. No, I think that's interesting. Right, that
1: could be a perfect balance.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like it's a good point because you're 22, 23 when you get out of college. And like you said, as a goalkeeper, you're still very young and that could be the opportunity where you made a name, go make connections and go just reach out to the different coaches and scouts that happen to be over there and you can find your way. Like you said, there's a lot of clubs to go to play on. Even if you don't make it to the top level, chances are you're still playing the game that you love. You're living in a different country. Exactly. You're having new experiences. So yeah, I mean... There's
1: there's... Hundred... The good thing about soccer is you can play all over the world. Mm-hmm. Every country in the world plays it and there's so many opportunities, and if you've got the right mindset and you're good enough, there's so many opportunities. It's a brilliant way to see the world. Of course, you want to be playing for Man City on £150,000 a week, but it's not going to happen for everybody. And uh, like we keep on saying, the top ones who are getting that aren't necessarily the most gifted and talented. They're there for a certain reason, and a lot of the time it is the mental side and physical side, rather than the, the talent bit, but I think it's a perfect. I've never even thought about it that way. About the kids from US coming to the UK, studying and then playing at a level and getting used to these. Yeah,
0: think more about that. Ask around. I'm just curious because I think even the US,
1: even to come to the UK, we might start doing something where guys from America can come here and spend a week with us, experiencing the way we train here and the conditions, the wet weather. The grass, everything's on grass. And see, it's a great eye-opener for them as well. And it'll show them the standards. So that's what we're looking into, giving them the experience to come and work with us for a week. Well,
0: you got one here. So my son will go. He hates the turf. He loves the grass. Oh, he, loves, he drives we, him nuts every because he's got so much turf and diving. He gets scraped up constantly because of the
1: turf. But it's so bad for your body as well. I think yeah. kids that grow up on turf, the way I've got a good way about when I dive, how I can roll and use my momentum and I roll and I very rarely get hurt. But Mm -hmm. I see the amount of kids who dive in top corner and land on the hips and they don't realize how much damage they're doing. A kid could train, 10 or 25 on turf every week for 12, 15 years and the body's going to be an absolute bits. And I think yeah. it's crazy, but the coaches don't mind. They'll still throw balls in the top corner so the goalie can tip them over the bar because it looks good.
0: And they can play a lot, right? So like if it rains, it's no big deal. The turf can handle it where here, the yeah. grass, it just, it's just not able Turf's to not handle
1: it. I think anytime anyone ever plays on turf, it should have to be battered with water because when you do dive on turf, when it's wet, at least you slide, slide whereas when it's dry, you just stick and your body just comes on the floor. And I think it's so bad for people's joints and that, but there's going to be a lot of problems later on in life for lads that have just trained on turf all the time and dove about because it takes it out of your body. And I think it could take years off your career. And that's why I really avoid turf. And if I do train on turf, it will be doing something like crossing or working on my weak foot right. and not doing things that are up and, oh, down, you know, up and down. and
0: down. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good idea for you guys to do that. And once this pandemic ends and people can start crossing the sea again and entering borders, that we do that because I think that's a great opportunity. And I think it's just amazing to be able to go to a different country and experience and go to new places and eat their food and... Learn the culture and my goodness, you know, go to some games. I think it would be a big deal. And, and you watch it because during the quarantine, I think we were messaging about this and you guys were laughing because I was watching the Netflix documentary Sunderland Till I Die. And that's where oh, you yeah. all are from. And you were laughing because you're like, we're not all like that. But <laughs> I loved it. I really did. And I could understand it because it's no different than like American football, where you have these fan bases and you have these fans and it's like their whole life. But when I watched that, it seemed to me it was. the next level i mean there was that episode when fans were getting buried yeah the strip what was it like i mean you probably obviously knew when that was going to be filmed like what was sunderland like during that time were they excited about it were they like ah, why are they doing this like what was that going on there
1: and i think it's such an important season i think it was a bit stupid a little bit obviously it's made sunderland known around the world really but I think it was a bit daft because what these programmes do, I think there's enough pressure on the club and it invites even more pressure and it can lead to embarrassment as well. So I don't think it was a brilliant thing to do. But for me, I was in Glasgow, I've lived in Glasgow the last half of my life now and they've got it even worse. Like If there was one of those about Rangers and Celtic, it will be another level from Sunderland. Because it's in their blood. And Sunderland, of course, it's a passionate city and they love the football and they want the team. When the team's doing well, the city's doing well. But I think Glasgow, with the two clubs up there, it's another level up from Sunderland, I think. Yeah. So I think if they did the same thing there, I think it would go through the roof because what they like up there, it's in the blood and they're like institutions, them. But in terms of Sunderland, it's a real... Like you say, when the team's doing well... The club's doing well. The city's uh, on the up as well. So it's a massive thing, the football team. And now being in that league where they are, yeah, it's really, really bad place for them because they are, they're a massive club. And for a city of 250,000 people to get 50,000 in the game, it's a fifth of the population, isn't it? And yeah. it's, uh, not yeah. many cities could do that, could they?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, did you watch it? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it, yeah, yeah. not a massive amount, but yeah. obviously, you watch the couple and you see the director who was there. He was the director when I was at Rangers, the chief executive, and just obviously, it, uh, some of the stuff was a little bit cringy, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, that was, it's obviously great. I look, there's an Amazon one now about Tottenham, and I think that would be amazing. Yeah. But yeah, you hear things like Amazon paid Mourinho's wages to come in oh. because he's more box office. You hear yeah. things like that, and yeah. they might have paid to sack Pochettino because. Mourinho's going to... It's more box office and it's going to put more people... Put it on the telly in it for more people. And is a lovely, nice guy. But is it what people want to watch? Yeah. I appreciate people like that, but people want to see Mourinho and uh, ah. the arrogance and stuff, don't they? Yeah.
0: I don't know. I mean, that's wild when you think about it too because Amazon does the series and Tottenham has the season that they had, at least in the before they shut it down. And they're just fell off, right? I mean, and yeah. I think when we were talking last too, or I was talking to your brother, Mark, you have Liverpool, you have Everton, you have these clubs, you have the Sunderland, right? And then you kind of come down into London, right? And you have Tottenham. Like, what do the clubs, what does like a Sunderland think of like a Tottenham?
1: I don't know. Well, the Northeast of England yeah. feel as though it's just forgotten about. I think London doesn't care about the Northeast. Right. In England, you've got Anything north of like, and now north of London, they think is Scotland. <laughs> They've got no yeah. respect and uh, all the money stays down there. So it's like, there's a lot of resentment really from the north towards, I think the northeast of England would join Scotland if they could, because London doesn't care. So there's okay. not really, I don't know what the opinion is, but obviously I think there's a bit of resentment there. Yeah, because well you, you sense They it. get all the lovely stadiums and all the money.
0: Mm-hmm. You sense it when you watch it and you see the different games and you would see like these London clubs are thought of this way. And obviously then the London clubs look down upon the Sunderland's of the world. And, and you can yeah. see that in the Netflix documentary a little bit.
1: I don't think the documentary would have helped Sunderland's name right. down there. I think it wouldn't have been good for them. It's good for getting the, the club out there. But I think people in London would have just been thinking, oh, God, we were right about them. They're a bunch of idiots. Right. Right. And then obviously, that's something we're doing really well. It might have helped, but the fact that the club's doing bad, the people might not have come across brilliantly, and it might have been a bit embarrassing for the city, really. But this is what these documentaries are all about, aren't they? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it's tough too, right? Because you look at Sunderland, like they went down, and it's so hard to get back up. I was excited to see Fulham get back into the Premier League. Yeah, they've done well. Because you watch it, Craven's Cottage, that's just a fun place for myself to watch a game Right, yeah, but the when they went down, it, it? it's like, do you don't know, wonder if they're ever going to get back? And I would imagine that is something that you don't see here in the states where you have relegation, so all of a sudden, the games at the bottom of the division mean so much, perhaps even more than they do at the top of the division, and you can see it, and you saw it at Sunderland, yeah, but it's scary because it's not just winning and losing now it's like changing everything because well, now you're out of the top league. And you might never get. Well, that's back. what
1: they're saying now as well. Here, like teams that get relegated, it's not just them in another league because they get relegated. There's cutbacks. Yeah, less a money. lot of people lose the job. So, for example, like Bournemouth got relegated this summer, right? Because Aston Villa stayed up by a point. Yeah, there was a terrible VAR decision for Aston Villa against Sheffield United when the ball was over the line and they didn't give it. That has basically put Bournemouth down. And I don't know how Bournemouth are financially, but you do hear that those going down by one decision like that, a team got getting relegated because of the wrong decision, and you could have 50 people losing their jobs Mm -hmm. at the club. Yeah. In England, that's what happens. And like Sunderland, they were in the Premier League five years ago. I went to watch them and they were beating Chelsea 3-0 in the Premier League and Everton. They beat them or they beat Chelsea 4-2, they beat Everton 3-0, and they'd stayed in the league. And the club was just on the up. And then four or five years later they're in the third league and probably not even favourites to get promoted and there's a chance where will they ever get back up because the change at the wage cap's different now. It's a lot more fair so there's a budget and Sunderland can't spend much money anymore and I think it's but there's people's livelihoods and jobs I'm sure Sunderland have made a lot of redundancy since they've been relegated from the Premier League but there's a massive impact on so many people and this is football clubs and Daniel Levy, the Tottenham chairman, was saying it the other day. It's uh, on the documentary you were saying about there's, it goes so far there's so many people that rely on the success of the football club and it's totally true isn't it?
0: Yeah it's very true whereas
1: over there it's not as big a thing over there because you're bottom of the league you just start again next year and I think you get the first pick in the draft don't you or something like that? That's
0: it It's uh, called tanking. So there'll be teams and clubs that they'll figure out ways, right? But they will lose on purpose to get the top pick. So it's the complete opposite. So you get the two, let's say you have two of the worst teams playing in the NFL towards the end of the year. It's not interesting anymore. So the only thing that would be interesting is you get to watch maybe some of the young players if in the football game, if an NFL game, you'd watch maybe the young quarterbacks, you see how they're developing. That's about it. So people stop showing up to the games because there's nothing at stake where there's, like you were said, there's livelihoods at stake in the Premier League, let's say, when they get down to the bottom three. It's unique because there's nothing, right? So if in the NFL, where are you going to go? On baseball, the minor league system they're attached to the major league system. So it's more of a developmental league anyway. So they have single A, double A, triple A, Uh, and those players could possibly move up and get to the major leagues. And the major leagues will send their players down to the minor leagues to rehab, Uh, to go on assignment, to do all these different things to get better. It's very different. They do that a little bit like on loans, like you were talking about with Stefan, but...
1: Pressure as well on these guys that could be relegated, knowing that you've got people relying on you that could lose the job. The canteen staff who you've known every day for three years could lose their job if you make a mistake in the next game because you get relegated. And it's horrible, isn't it? And that's the, obviously, we we'll always go back to the pressure aspect and that's what can make or break players. And it's the best ones who can deal with that, who are successful. But like I say, i my career by worrying about letting people down, letting my manager down, letting the players down, worrying about providing for my family. Because that was my be all and end all my football. But the best advice we give to anyone now is to have a career to run alongside your football career, no matter what level you're playing, because you want to play football because you play football because you want to play, not because you have to. I had to play my whole career because that's all I had. And it's so dangerous and it invites so much pressure. And you've got to be a certain type of person to deal with that pressure.
0: Yeah. Well, it just goes back to what we started talking about at the beginning with the psychology of it, psychology of a goalkeeper, the psychology of a player, the fan, the organization and the people in and around the game. And so I think it's important that you and your brothers, the modern day GK, it's important. And this is why we pay attention to the content you create. It's brilliant. I get to see it on LinkedIn. I see it on Instagram. I see it on Twitter. I get to have a conversation with you on Zoom. We chat on WhatsApp if we have questions. I mean, I'm grateful that we have connected and I get to have these conversations with you. I consider myself lucky to be able to do that. I'm excited about continuing those conversations and learning about your content and hopefully continuing to get the modern day GK even more known here. And like I told Mark when we had first talked, I picked my son up from practice one day and I said, Mason, guess what I'm going to get to talk to tomorrow. And I would like, have you ever heard of these guys called the modern day GK? And he's like, dad, everyone knows who they are. They got the (laughs) best stuff out there. And And I was like, and we had never talked about it before. And so you guys are known here. People are paying attention. He's like all his goalkeeper friends, they talk about you guys. And so it's encouragement to keep going and we're paying attention to it. And we're going to continue talking. I hope. And hopefully, you know, this pandemic ends and we can meet in person and we can have some fun. So We just
1: want to help as many people as we can with the experience from my career and uh, what I've been through and help as many kids deal with the pressure and let them know that football at a young level, it doesn't mean anything. All you're there for is to develop and improve. And if you make a mistake, learn from it and try not to do it again and never worry about making a mistake and this is the advice I wish I had and that could have been the thing that took me to the next level but if we can make a difference and help young players now then it's a nice consolation for us
0: yeah you're doing it and so we appreciate it and I appreciate your time and your wisdom around the game and around the position of goalkeeper and the psychology around it Also, thank you
1: Oh, thanks Eric